Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. And in this episode, I talk with Jesse Howe, who is the Assistant Director of the Coastal Conservation Association in Maryland, CCA, whose purpose is to advise and educate the public on the conservation of our marine resources. They seek to conserve, promote, and enhance the present and future ability of coastal resources for the benefit and enjoyment of the general public. One of the main projects CCA does are living reefs, which are reef balls that they create in the Chesapeake Bay to provide important habitat for oysters and for other estuarine creatures, and they are valued in both fresh and the bay waters. And since the 1700s, oyster populations have seen dramatic decline due to overharvesting disease, habitat loss, and more. And the bay have really seen the effects of that as oysters are natural filters. Therefore, reef balls offer a place for oysters to come back to the bay and help maintain healthy waters and the ecosystem. With Jesse, we talk about why Maryland's coastline is so ecologically significant, the goals of the living reef, how they get community involved, citizen science, and how to support their work. To contact and connect with Jesse will be in the show notes below. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So hi, everyone. I'm with Jesse Howe, who is the Assistant Director of the Coastal Conservation Association in Maryland. So yeah, starting out, can you talk about CCA Maryland and what you all do? Absolutely. Happy New Year, Jen. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, um, I've listened you. to a few of, of the recent podcasts and I have really enjoyed the content. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, thank you. What do you do at CCA and what is CCA Maryland? Absolutely. So Coastal Conservation Association, or CCA as it's typically known, began in 1977 in Texas. And this was after a dramatic commercial overfishing event decimated their local redfish and speckled trout populations. And CCA is membership-based. We are a 501c3 nonprofit comprised now of 19 state chapters, of course, of which Maryland is one of those 19, which in each of those state chapters are smaller local chapters, um, of which Maryland has approximately seven right now. Some of the bigger, more established states like Texas, Louisiana, and Florida have upwards of 60 local chapters within. So CCA is focused on fisheries conservation through habitat enhancement, policy work, and community engagement and education. Our purpose is to always, always advise and educate the public on the conservation of marine resources and ensure the health and conservation of our public resources while we're trying to balancing our anglers' access to those resources. To advise and educate is always first on our minds. We don't force anything upon anyone, not ideology, not ideas. The idea is always is that we have a vision and then we lead a horse to water. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit about how I joined CCA. It's a, it's kind of a typical story because our executive director, David Sikorsky, um, has, you know, he started in a similar role as I did, which was as a volunteer. And, you know, my, my journey is unique to assistant director because I was out fishing, you know, with some buddies. And this was the summer of 2021. And when it's slow, what do you do when you're out on a boat in the Chesapeake Bay? You chat. And the conversation eventually, you know, got towards conservation and everyone's personal viewpoints and, and ideologies and, you know, and what organizations out there are really trying to make a difference. And, you know, one of the guys on the boat brought up CCA to me. I had never heard of them before and said, you know, this is 
one of the good guys and someone that could use your support, you know, financially and otherwise. So I went home, jumped on the computer, you know, did my own research and was like, hey, this is this is great. You know, I'm glad I got this this heads up. So, you know, sent a few emails, made a few calls, and I was able to find, you know, some of their upcoming events. I volunteered at a fundraiser in Washington, DC, you know, kind of met the team, really enjoyed working with everyone. Um, I, you know, I definitely agreed with the mission. Absolutely. And, you know, went to another one and then started doing some volunteer work as well within the Living Reef Action Campaign, of which I will expand on a little bit more later in our conversation. And I was offered a contract role within that Living Reef Action Campaign, which is building artificial reefs within the Calvert County Public School System um, with the fifth grade, every fifth grader in Calvert County Public Schools. And then eventually, um, was offered the the role as assistant director, which I've been in since July of 2023. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And then what makes Maryland's post so unique and also ecologically significant to, yeah, want to conserve it? This is a great question. And I am going to refer our listeners to please check out our vision for the Chesapeake document, which I'm hoping, Jen, that you can put in the show notes along mm-hmm. with a couple of other links. Yeah. That is a really fantastic document, mostly led by Captain Chris Dollar. He's a, a longtime proponent of conservation around the Chesapeake Bay, tackle shop owner, charter boat captain, um, an all around great guy. But thinking about Maryland's coast, and you know, my first thought is just that it's so unique and it's so gorgeous. I think that we're lucky. Don't you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll leave with a couple of stats. So according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, as most people know this as NOAA, N-O-A-A, the total length of the U.S. tidal shoreline is 95,471 miles. So Maryland has approximately 7,719 miles of shoreline. That's 8% of the total of the United States. And think about it this way. This is for a state whose total land mass is 12,407 square miles. So that's approximately 0.3% of the total United States, which is 3.797 million square miles. So suffice to say that Maryland punches well above its weight when it comes to coastlines. That is something I think that makes it really unique. As far as you know, ecologically significant, the first thing that comes to mind is the sheer variety of species. They call our watershed home, just off the top of my head. I'll, and I'll st- stick strictly to fish, which is a little bit more in my wheelhouse. I can list striped bass, white and yellow perch, croaker, red and black drum, black sea bass, bluefish, menhaden, bay anchovy, spot, speckled trout, flounder, weak fish, Spanish mackerel, cobia. Some of those fish are, are resident species in which they stay in the bay and in our local watershed. Others are migratory meaning they come in and out of the Atlantic Ocean um, periodically throughout the year. So it's just, it's just a fabulous, really fabulous, it's a national treasure is what it is, the Chesapeake Bay in, uh, in our coast. And it, I think we're really blessed to live here. Yeah, definitely. And then, so you all have a couple of different projects at CCA. So could you talk about the Living Reef Action Campaign that you all have? Of course. So the Living Reef Action Campaign, or the LRAC, has been in existence since 2015, and its main goals are habitat creation and restoration. That's number one. Number two is educational outreach and community engagement. That's number two. 
And number three is advancing the science of habitat restoration through scientific studies. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll speak a little bit to each of those. So the five W's of the LRAC program, you know, that's kind of the who, what, when, where, why, so to speak, it's all about building artificial reefs. So as I mentioned in our intro, talking about my journey to assistant director of CCA Maryland, a big part of that was leading this campaign in the Calvert County Public Schools District. Um, I'm a Calvert County resident. It made sense. There was already grant funding in place, partnered with uh, what's known as the Chess Packs program. That's basically the kind of the outdoor education wing of Calvert County Public Schools. So what that looks like is that we have two different trailers. And within each trailer, we have a multitude of, of tools and of fiberglass molds. And we have approximately about you know, 5,000 pounds of concrete, which is delivered in 80-pound bags to each of these, these schools. And what happens is there's a day one and a day two. And I'll kind of go a little bit into what those look like. And once again, this is all about creating habitat, right? Restoring habitat and involving the local community in that. So what that looks like is on day one, you know, we're, we pull up in the trailer and we've already obviously communicated with all the fifth grade teams. They're going to bring out about, you know, anywhere from 100 to 120 of their students, you know, eight to 10 parent volunteers, some other volunteers within the community. I'll give a shout out right now. As far as volunteers go, we're always looking for folks to help out with these types of programs. If people are interested in, in finding out what it's all about, they can always email me, jhowe, J-H-O-W-E at ccamd.org. Also, we have you know some great information on our website, ccamd.org. So back to kind of day one of the build, what that looks like is, you know, we're, we're placing out pieces of plywood. We've got three different pieces of your mold, if, if folks can kind of envision this. And the students are putting them together um, using tools. They're using, they're using hammers. They're using rubber mallets. They're using hardware such as, you know, plates and pins and wedges to make sure everything fits together, kind of like a, a big Lego set. And if, if folks can kind of visualize it, um, if you're standing up and, you know, I'm close to six feet tall, it would be, you know, about almost up to my waist is about how tall it would be. And it would be these three different parts, not necessarily pyramidal, but more of kind of a, a conical shape. So, you know, half a, half a spear, so to, so to speak. So what we're doing is we're first leading the students and putting together these molds, and then we're leading them in mixing and pouring concrete into these molds. We're giving them these molds, you know, a day for the concrete to harden, to do its thing. Sometimes when we have a have a, a build that's you know late fall or even early spring. We don't do builds in the winter. And the reason for that is because the concrete will not set um, with these really consistent low temperatures. So we have to make sure that concrete is set. And then on day two, we call it the hatch. We come back. The students are, you know, they're really excited to see what they've built. It's it's just really engaging. It's just really fabulous. Jen, I would I'm going to invite you out right now to a build at some point. I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I would love to. That'd be amazing. And they, what they're doing is they're basically, you know, on day one, they assemble the mold. And then on day two, they disassemble everything. They take it apart and they look at their work. They look at their handiwork. You know, and it doesn't always work out. And what I talk to the students about this is like that science also sometimes, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. we make a hypothesis and it doesn't go exactly as we thought it would, but that's okay um, because we always learn something from the process. And what I mean from that is, 
Sometimes, you know, the molds based on, it could be human error. It could be, you know, because of these cold temps that I've mentioned, um, the concrete might not set as well. And some of these molds might, you know, they might crumble. And I'm talking, you know, we're saying from three to 5%, perhaps not a, not a large margin. But typically what happens is the students are able to hatch that mold on day two. They pop apart that those three pieces that, you know, they take out all their hardware and they pop it open. And there's this, this beautiful artificial reef mold staring back at them. They've poured three 80-pound bags of concrete in. So it's approximately 250 pounds for each of these each of these artificial reefs. And they're really excited. I mean, it's 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 really fabulous to see the sparkle in their eye and the sense of joy and amazement that they get out of this process. And, you know, that's goal one, habitat creation and restoration. So we have to actually build these reefs. You know, it is manpower that makes it happen. And then it's that goal two, which is that educational outreach and community engagement portion. Um, this is a part of their curriculum. And we're talking to them about, you know, what aquatic species are going to be using these artificial reefs when we actually, when they're actually deployed in our local watersheds. And we talk about, you know, that they will be layered with baby oysters, which are called spat. And what that's going to happen is that's going to create an ecosystem on the, on the base of the Chesapeake Bay and some of our local rivers, like the St. Mary's River, for example, is where a recent deployment has been. And it's just really fabulous seeing this, this hands-on experience, you know, these kids learning how to use tools. Um, they're out there sweating, they're having fun, you know, they're building teamwork and camaraderie and there's always challenges that come along with it. So, you know, we're building grit, all of these things, all these buzzwords in education and in parenting um, that we're all after. That's really what happens at these, these two day artificial reef building events through the living reef action campaign. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm wondering about like the design of the reef balls. So was that something that you all designed or was that kind of like something that was already in, in existence and then you guys just kind of build off of that? Yeah, great question. So that is something that was already in existence. And that was something that was developed in the 90s, in the early 90s, um, from a man named Todd Barber. And he's the president of the Reef Ball Foundation. Please check it out. Google it. Mm -hmm. Really, a really interesting guy. So CCA, Maryland, inherited some reef balls, some molds, excuse me, from Stevenson University and also borrowed some from one of our really amazing partners, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, CBF, to start this Living Reef Action Campaign in 2015. And since the early 90s, um, since Todd Barber, you know, kind of designed this and had this this revelation. And he's done it all over the world. It's really incredible. Um, I think it's something like over 60 countries where reef balls have been built and deployed. And there are different models. You know, not everyone is is kind of that 250 pound mold that we typically stick to. We also have some some smaller molds that we're able to use for educational purposes. Um, which I can show you um, later um, that I can I can carry around and I show the students like this is what what it looks like this is what we're we're building let's take a look at it together and let's talk about it what do you see and they might say oh there's holes in it I say you're right there are holes in it and the, just so you know a little bit behind the scenes look how we create those holes in the reef balls is we're putting kind of small rubber balls down in the concrete and that's creating air pockets and then we pull those out on day two creating that hole. And what that means is that small fish, you know, can use that as a hiding place. You know, that's, that's their habitat. Um, blue crabs might crawl in there 
you know, when it's time to molt. And, you know, predators might not be able to get in there, predator fish, you know, looking for them. So it's it's just all about creating that habitat, going back to that that idea and, you know, making that really special, ecologically significant portion of the bay um, and just doing our part. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah, I guess you kind of talked about the what the goals of the Living Reef Project is. And then, yeah, the changes that you want to see. So is it just kind of to build back that habitat and the reef that's been lost through the years? Big picture, yes, it, it is. Absolutely. Um, rebuilding that habitat, thinking about, you know, all of the different dead zones. And that's something we might, we, we often hear when we talk, think about the Chesapeake Bay, especially in the summer months um, where, you know, the oxygen levels are just at really catastrophic levels and you, you, you have die-offs. This past summer was actually, you know, one of, in my recent memory, at least, uh, it was one of the more clear, as far as the, the water clarity goes, that I've seen the bay. And people talk to it, you know, why did that happen? Is that because of, you know, the oyster refill developing? Well, the main cause of that is because of the drought that we experienced this this summer. And up until just very recently when we got, you know, a ton of rain. And what that means is all that water is not pushing, you know, down through the creeks, through the tributaries into our main river systems, the Potomac, the Patuxent, and then, you know, out into the bay and pushing all, you know, everything that, you know, we have on the ground. So that could be motor oil or, you know, fertilizers and pesticides and um, anything, but have you. And that's just kind of preventing that from happening. Yeah, that makes sense. And then could you also talk about, I guess you kind of talked about it with the kids and education program you all have, but how you get the community involved with citizen science? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I get into citizen science, I do want to give a shout out to one of the grants that CCA Maryland recently was awarded. This mm-hmm. was through the Chesapeake Bay Trust. Uh, it's for close to ten thousand dollars, and it's all around you know education and basically developing more of these this kind of this habitat, you know, this this artificial reefs layered with oyster spat that we've been doing. And also increasing our outreach to minority communities, um, making sure that we are presenting this material in two languages. Just so you know, I am bilingual. I spent a good portion of of the 2010s living and working in Latin America. So, you know, speaking Spanish and connecting with the local Latino community is is one of, you know, something that is important to me, Mm -hmm. um, that initiative. Um, So this, this, like I said, this grant money is going to be really important as far as, you know, getting inroads into these local communities where the folks maybe don't have that information readily available to them and don't have that connection to the bay that many of us do and kind of take for granted. Um, So I just want to kind of talk to a little bit about that. As far as citizen science goes, I can reference a fish tagging program that CCA Maryland um, used to do, has taken a pause from. Um, What we're doing now is kind of looking for increased manpower with that and always looking for funding, just like any nonprofit is. I can give a shout out right now as far as, you know, we're always looking for viable grants, but we're also always looking for donations. Just like the gentleman spoke to in your previous podcast, when we talked about um, his sailing mission and his nonprofit. It really is the donations that that help get these programs off the ground and help enable the mission, as we call it, this really important work that we feel like we do. Some current citizen science that we we do 
we do lead. Um, there's something that we have that's called the Great Chesapeake Invasives Count. If you're not familiar with invasive species, those are you know non-native. Um, sometimes in the case of the bay and its its many rivers and tributaries, these are fish um, that might be taking over and either you know consuming some of the forage that native fish are not no longer able to you know get their fair share. Let's call it. Um, and what I'm talking about here, I'm talking about three species in particular, and that's blue catfish, flathead catfish, and northern snakehead. Are you familiar with these species at all, Jen? Um, somewhat, yeah. Okay. So the blue cats, for example, that's something that was introduced several decades ago in Virginia and have kind of made their way up into our watershed and now are present in every river that feeds into the Chesapeake Bay. And so in some ways they are the, the main biomass or which is to say the dominant species. So out competing native fish such as striped bass, such as white perch for that forage fish um, for their food. Um, in many cases, blue catfish are also going to be you know eating some of these species. Within this program, the great Chesapeake invasives count, what we're encouraging our recreational anglers to do locally as part of this citizen science campaign is making sure they mark their catch, you know, where they are catching these species. And then we're also encouraging them to, when they, when they fillet them, because we always encourage folks to harvest these fish, they are delicious. Um, people have this, this image of catfish as, you know, bottom feeder lives in the mud, tastes like mud. But I tell you what, blue catfish, they eat blue crabs. You know, they eat mm. straight bass, they eat white perch, they eat a lot of everything, to be perfectly honest. So this isn't your typical meat when fe when folks are thinking about what catfish tastes like. It's great. It really is. So catch them up, cook them up, eat them up, folks, please. Like I was saying, as part of that citizen science program, part of that initiative is, is we're encouraging folks to also, when they fillet their fish, opening up the stomach contents, you know, identifying what these blue cats in particular, but also flathead catfish and northern snakehead as well. You know, what they're eating, you know, what is it in our ecosystem um, that is really taking a hit? And what they're seeing is they're seeing blue crabs. You know, they're seeing a lot of this, this forage fish that typically is reserved for our more, you know, our native species. Another example of citizen science is that Living Reef Action Campaign program, of which I've already gone extremely in depth about. Fantastic program. Um, I would encourage everyone to get involved you know, reach out to me, please um, come and volunteer, you know, check out our calendar on ccamd.org. We, we always take a winter break, as I said, because of the cold temperatures, but that will be back up and running in early March in Calvert County Public Schools. We also have a program in Carroll County to the north of Baltimore that's very robust, always looking for volunteers. And then we're also doing kind of, you know, various events with reef builds throughout the state. Some of those might be at a, a local boat show. Some of those might be at just kind of individual high schools. Broadneck High School in Annapolis, for example, is something we have on the docket in May. So like, once again, that Living Reef Action Campaign is another example of that. And if I can, if I may, I'm just going to kind of expand a little bit upon the Living Reef Action Campaign and some of the goals, if you don't mind, Jen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we know, we know that reef walls provide this important substrate, which is to say habitat for a number of animals. And that the biodiversity and the filtration are a valuable ecosystem service that any oyster reef provides. But the three-dimensional nature of this reef ball, I'm trying to get folks to envision it. And please Google it, everyone. What does a reef ball look like? Artificial reef. 
Um, we've got it on our website, of course. We've got a great video that one, those can watch. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, we know that we're creating more potential growth and benefit in one area. So we're building, by structural terms, an old reef. So thinking about you know that which would nature would take a while to create. So we're kind of you know, we're advancing that process. Um, so more people engaged in that process means more reefs, of course. That means more education. Um, but the general goal, and this is kind of our theme for everything that we do, is habitat today, fish tomorrow. Once again, habitat today, fish tomorrow. Um, that's our branding. You know, that's our mantra. We're thinking about being able to put that back into the bay, into our local watersheds, so that our recreational angling community, um, which is to say our membership-based um, has a place to go out there and have a great place for fishing. Definitely. Yeah. That makes total sense. And yeah. Is there anything that we miss that is important to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as, you know, folks supporting our work, if this has, if this has rung a bell with you, if this is kind of, you know, made you think how, you know, how can I get involved basically? Because I tell you what, Jen, like it is being in this role for, you know, less than a year now, it is, it's challenging to get people to care about this, these, these types of really important issues, the health of the Bay. Um, I'm out there every day talking to people, um, you know, trying to encourage volunteers, um, spearheading these different initiatives and projects, reaching out to um, often forgotten communities. Um, and as our good friend, Lenny Rudo is his name, and he's the, what he's called the angler in chief of Fish Talk magazine, which is a free monthly magazine. Um, locally, which is really fantastic, Mag. You can pick it up at any tackle shop, often libraries, post offices, et cetera, et cetera. What he says, he says, you know what? Membership for CCA is $40 for one year. And, and there are breaks as well in the cost of a three or a four or a five-year membership. And what that does is that, you know, that helps support that mission of what we're trying to accomplish, you know, of that habitat today, fish tomorrow is one of our main initiatives, but there are many. And what Lenny talks about is, you know, this is the equivalent of, of what four dozen bloodworms would cost or 10 gallons of non-ethanol fuel. So if you're out there, if you're an angler and, or you just care about the conservation of the bay, about, you know, about the water clarity and cleanliness, then there's no excuses really not to join today. So I would encourage folks to check out ccamd.org. The join tab is on the top right corner. CCAMD is, if you're a recreational angler, is your only game in town when it comes to protecting our marine resources for recreational anglers. Um, the next step would be finding and joining your local chapter. Just here in Maryland, we've got, you know, um, Annapolis, which is an extremely robust chapter. We've got the greater Baltimore County. Um, we've got greater Washington. In my neck of the woods, which is Southern Maryland, you know, that encompasses Calvert, Charles, and St. Mary's counties. Um, we also have, you know, Kent Narrows just across, across the bridge. We have a midshore as far as the eastern shore goes, which we could really use some support in right now. Um, we've got, you know, some really great things going on right now in 2024 for CCA Maryland. And I would just encourage folks to to check us out, to get involved. Um, if it's not volunteering, um, then it could be a donation or a sponsorship um, because, as a nonprofit goes, we do depend on, once again, like I said, grants when we're able to secure those. Um, but the vast majority is is membership 
and it's also donations. Um, that could be from a corporate entity. These are always tax write-offs. We are a 501c3, so that's something to, to keep in mind, but also just kind of from concerned citizens who do want to help. So I would always encourage that. Another shout out I'm going to give is called Kids Corner. That's something, that's an initiative from CCA National in which children under the age of 18 can get a very inexpensive membership for one year. Um, that's $10. And that gets them, as opposed to the Tide magazine, which is a quarterly magazine that CCA puts out and you get as a membership, um, they would get the Rising Tide magazine, which is all geared towards children. As you would imagine, it's great. As I mentioned before, when we were chatting prior to recording, I've got a six-year-old. Um, he is obviously a member. He loves the content. You know, he loves being involved. Um, it's a really great way to capture children's imagination and attention and get them focused on the health of the Bay. Um, another thing they can do is attending one of our local fundraisers. Um, each chapter, as I mentioned previously, holds an annual banquet. Um, in my neck of the woods in Solomon's Island, we'll be having our banquet uh, on the last Saturday in February. That's the 24th. That's from 6 to 10 p.m. at the Calvert Marine Museum. It's a wonderful venue. Um, if you're out locally, please check us out. Come buy a ticket. Come support us. Following CCA Maryland on all your social, obviously, is a great way to start. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. But most importantly, it's staying engaged is what I want to say. You know, it's not, it's not just about, you know, putting in your, your, for your annual membership, of course, if you're listening, you should be a member. Um, it's it's thinking about where you can volunteer. It's thinking about, are there any, any initiatives in which you would like to lead? Because we're a small organization. It's David Sikorsky, executive director, myself, assistant, um, and various fellows, kind of college age and high school age. So we really do depend on our volunteer force, our membership base to help us to complete that mission, which we find to be very, very important. That annual membership is a tangible way for the public to have some skin in the game, so to speak, when it comes to conservation of our marine resources. Um, once again, my email is jhowe at ccamd.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, of course. Um, but I would encourage folks to come check us out. Please reach out to me, You know, ask questions, engage with me. I can point you in the right direction as far as what your local chapter might be and when we might have some volunteer opportunities upcoming to get involved. Thanks so much to Jesse for speaking with me. Anything we talked about in the episode will be linked in the show notes below and tune in in two weeks for a new episode.